Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Which number? <laughs> no, it's okay. If you're still recording, we'll just start with this. Yep. It's 162, Jill. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to episode 162 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Super professional this morning. Uh, it's Monday. It is. We're recording this on a Monday. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Um, so this is a bonus episode. It is. And you're probably like, huh, that's weird. Don't they usually do bonus episodes on Saturdays, not Tuesdays? We do. We do. Adam had a goof up. <laughs> I goofed. Um, whoopsies. So this is a very special Big Library Read podcast. Um, so for starters, we always get a bunch of listeners who don't normally listen to the podcast when we do big library read ones because we promote them. So maybe we want to tell everyone just in like 30 seconds what we do here? At Overdrive. Sure. sure. Overdrive is a app uh, for ebooks and audiobooks through your public library or school. Um, as long as you have your library card, you can get ebooks and audiobooks right on your mobile device. Um, and it works just like your normal library, except you don't actually have to there. <laughs> yeah. And then what we do here on the podcast the professional book nerds that you're listening to right now is every week Jill and I do an author interview on Mondays normally and then our Thursday episodes we do book recommendations with a, a theme of some sort so it might be a genre or it might be something based around um, whatever's going on you know like we have a couple Halloween episodes coming up so um, if you subscribe to us in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts if this is your first time listening because it's Big Library Read uh, subscribe to us and we will get you weekly book recommendations and chats with authors so this particular ch- uh, podcast episode is a chat with the Big Library Read author Chelsea Sedoti. so Chelsea is wonderful she's a young adult author and she's the author of The Hundred Lies of Lizzie Lovett um, which, if you're listening to this for the Big Library Read program, you will be able to borrow uh, at your library or your school library's uh, website, their Overdrive website. Um, for the next couple weeks, there's not any waiting lists or holds. Um, if you're discovering this on the Big Library Read website, you can also join our discussion there as well. Um, basically, all sorts of great stuff. I don't want to get into what we talk about because that would defeat the purpose of you listening to the rest of the podcast. But um, for new listeners and current listeners as well who may never have done this before, Jill, if people want to get a hold of you and I on the podcast, how can they do that? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. You can also email Adam and I directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yeah. So if you're looking for book recommendations, if there's something that you would love to hear on a podcast that maybe you haven't heard before, or if you just want to say hi, those ones are always fun to get as well. So um, yeah, whether you've been listening since episode one or this is your first ever one, uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. Chelsea's wonderful. She's been on the podcast before, so this will be a, a second time. So she and I obviously discuss her book but we go into some other fun things as well yeah this actually came up in discussion we had last week um how three of the last four big library reads have been authors that had previously been featured on the podcast so i'm gonna take a little bit of credit we're taking a little bit of credit because the way that we just determine the big library title is we get uh we have voting from overdrive users and we think 
that maybe you have heard of these books because you listen to the podcast and so you're voting for them. That's what we're going to go with. That's what we're going to go with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything else people should know before they listen into this interview? I don't think so. All right. Well, I hope listeners new and old enjoy this interview with Big Library Read author Chelsea Sedoti on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hey everyone, it's Adam again, and today I am incredibly excited to be joined by Chelsea Sedoti, who is an author of whose debut novel, The Hundred Lies of Lizzie Lovett, not only won over the hearts of countless readers, but it was also chosen by Overdrive users as the next big library read. Chelsea lives in Las Vegas, prefers rock climbing to casinos, has some fantastic ties to Eastern Ohio, which I love, and loves writing because it lets her have adventures whenever she chooses. Her next novel, As You Wish, comes out next year in 2018, and this also happens to be the second time that we've had her on the podcast, and today we're going to talk all about all the Big Library Read stuff. So, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. All right, so for people who may not have heard our previous chat, because it was a long, long time ago at this point, um, can you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to The Hundred Lies of Lizzie Lovett? The Hundred Lies of Lizzie Lovett is about a teenage girl who gets herself caught up in a missing persons investigation that has absolutely nothing to do with her. And as this case goes on, she gets more and more wrapped up into it and starts to take some very inappropriate actions (laughs) um, because she thinks that she can solve the disappearance on her own. So I love Hawthorne. I I told you this last time we spoke, but... She has a voice that I think a lot of YA readers can really relate to. She's very sarcastic and she's snarky. And I think she probably does that like a lot of younger teenagers do to kind of protect herself. But how did you as an author come up with her voice? I actually was surprised myself by Hawthorne's voice. When I was just in the planning stages of the book, I sort of imagined a very sort of moody, brooding character, and so that was my intention, and I didn't think of it beyond that, and I sat down to actually start writing the first chapter, and Hawthorne's sort of over-the-top, goofy, snarky voice came out and surprised me a lot, because it just wasn't exactly what I was planning, but it just felt right, and I decided to go with it, and before I knew it, I was a few chapters into the book, and she had just kind of told me who she wanted to be. And so kind of along those lines, when, when you were writing this character, did you kind of always intend for her to be someone who, like you mentioned during the, the intro, like, did you always intend for her to be someone who thought that she knew best and knew how to solve this case? Because as you're writing out this kind of, you know, the, the way that she was as a person, I'm assuming you also had to adjust some of the other characters around her and how they interacted with her as well, correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think one of the key, one of Hawthorne's key personality traits that didn't change when her voice sort of changed into what it it ended up being is that it was always intended for her to be very obsessive about this case and obsessive about it because she would rather think about this 
missing cheerleader than think about her own life. She doesn't want to think about what happens next year when she goes to college, and she doesn't want to think about the fact that her friendships have changed and that she's growing apart from people and that maybe life isn't what she always wanted it to be. And so that, to me, is one of her her key traits that has always been present in her character, this need to sort of escape from the real world. And, you know, normally maybe she would escape from the real world by watching movies and reading lots of books. And this time it just happens to be that it's this missing person that has sparked her her interest. And so she just obsessively involves herself in that because it's just easier than facing reality. And speaking of, the, you know, like the, the, the mystery that she obsesses over i'm curious did that inspiration come from anything and was there ever anything like that even anything remotely like that that happened in your area when you were growing up or where did the original idea of the disappearance come from it actually wasn't when i was growing up i was probably far too old to be acting so hawthorne-ish um (laughs) but the whole idea from the book came from me reading uh, about a teenage girl in my area who had gone missing and although I didn't know the girl and she was completely different from me and I had no reason to become attached to her for some reason I just got really really interested in this case and um so I started checking for newspaper updates every day I found like a forum where people were going on talking about this disappearance and speculating about it and just really really following it closely and I eventually reached a point where I sort of back and ask myself why do you care so much why are you being so weird about this missing girl and so I decided to stop and sort of let it go and not obsessively stalk you know this this case but it did spark the idea for a character who didn't know when to pull back and didn't have that sort of self-awareness and wouldn't ask herself why do you care quite so much I love that that idea because as you're describing it, you know, at first glance, someone might hear you say that and be like, Chelsea, why are you so obsessed with this one particular thing? But I think we all have a way of doing that. I don't know if it's like a, a, a psychological thing. Like, I am so bad at falling down rabbit holes. Uh, my my current rabbit hole, when we're recording this, is the week after Game of Thrones ended. So, like, my current rabbit hole is, like, all of the history of everything that happens in you know in game of thrones but is that something that that you tend to do often like are there other rabbit holes that that you'll fall down other than this particular you know case that sparked this book i imagine as an author you know sometimes that is where a lot of your ideas might come from but are there other things that you tend to fall down the rabbit hole for probably way too much i'm also a game of thrones fan Mm -hmm. and um, i haven't been down that the rabbit hole recently but when i first read the books I became really obsessed with finding out all of the actual stories that the stories in the book were based on because so much of it is actually taken from um, events that happened during the War of the Roses and so that was my thing or I've like lost entire days reading about caving disasters or abandoned mines I don't know why I have no idea why caving disasters would interest me it's morbid and weird but yet I find myself doing it and that is part of the fun of being a writer is that oftentimes there will be something that's kind of interesting to me and I think well why doesn't a character get interested in this too and then I can just spend all of this time researching (laughs) and I can put it in a book 
That's such a good justification. See, you as an author, you can totally justify that. For me, it's just like, all right, Adam, it's it's one in the morning. I don't think you're going to find out any more about ice dragons at this particular juncture in your day. Um, so you talking about falling down rabbit holes and, and things that, you know, Hawthorne gets obsessed with. Something else that she likes to do is she creates these fictional stories about the people in her life. Um, so I'm curious, was that something that you did when you were a high schooler? I think as a writer, I'm always going to do that a little bit. Um, and I think that I've done it probably my whole life because it's a lot more fun to look at people and imagine what you think is going on with them and what you think is happening in their heads than what's often the reality because let's face it, reality is often just not as exciting as the fiction that you can come up with. And so I definitely share that that trait with Hawthorne. I think that Hawthorne takes it a little too far at, as she does with everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the fictions that she creates about people end up being harmful because she's not able to see past that and see when some something important or something upsetting might actually be going on in someone's life. She's very self-involved. But as for imagining more to people and more to the world than they've actually given me, then yes, I absolutely do that. Mm -hmm. And and so if you, this is a question I've started asking people because I just enjoy it. If you could pick a fictional world to live in, which one would you go with? Um, well, it's fresh in my mind, um, since you just mentioned Game of Thrones, but I've been saying for years that I really, really wish I could live in Westeros, which seems bizarre because right. it's a very dangerous place, but I'm slightly obsessed with medieval history and um, would really like to live in that time period, except probably not as a peasant. <laughs> I was going <laughs> you to be, just... be very specific about that, I suppose, right? You can't, you can't just say you want yeah. to... <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to just hang out and not be able to eat because there's a war going on and random hordes are coming in and burning up my farm or something. I would like to be in an okay position where I'm probably not going to starve to death. That's yeah, that's that's something that you definitely want to make sure that people know before you get into that. That's a, that's a good way of describing it. Um, so I'm curious, as a as a YA writer, what to you, when you're actually reading YA books, what to you makes a good YA story? I love YA because I love coming-of-age stories. I always, always have. When I was a kid and was reading YA, that's what I loved about them. And as I was an adult, that just never went away. I think that there's something that's so magical about those teenage years where you're sort of trapped between being a child and being an adult. And your personality, your true personality is really coming out, but you haven't quite figured out who you are. And I just love to watch that progression. And I think that every young adult book in some way is a coming of age story. And so that's what draws me to the genre, and that's what I love to see in other young adult books, where I can just sort of lose myself in this character becoming who they're supposed to be. Do you think that's why so many people 
of all ages like young adult books because you know anytime we do a program like the big library with young adult we get i mean when we did we put out our voting for this there were thousands and thousands of people who had their you know they wanted to share their opinions on what ya book they wanted to read so do you think that kind of that probably falls for everyone else as well that like the fact that the coming of age tale is something that we can all relate to i'm always i mean i'm a ya reader myself but i'm always fascinated um i think Okay, go ahead. I mean, everyone, everyone who has reached adulthood has sort of had that moment. It's something that's universal. We've all come of age, and whether you're a teenager and you're just going through it and want to read about other teenagers who are sort of in that mixed-up stage of life, or whether you're an adult thinking back on your own teenage years, it's it's a very interesting time of life, and yeah, as you said, anyone can relate to it. Yeah, I I always think of it as uh, there's that saying where like when you're when you're younger, it's almost like you're a glass and you're a small glass and it takes less experience to fill it up. So as a as a YA person, you know, as a a teenager who's in a YA book, you're experiencing these emotions for the first time, and so like they feel like the most raw and incredible feelings you're ever going to experience. So I feel like as a reader, if you're a teenager, you're sitting there like, I totally know what this person is going through. But as an adult, you're sitting there and you're just saying like, oh, sweetie, just wait. You, this is not the the end all be all always. I, I think you're absolutely right. Yes. It's nostalgia for, you know, older readers and in the moment for, for younger ones. Yes, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. uh, so last time you were on, we were talking a little bit about libraries, and you, you said that your local library helped your family manage your reading habits, uh, and now that <laughs> yes. now that your book has been chosen for the big library read, I'm kind of curious, you know, what are your thoughts about knowing that there's going to be people, people all around the world reading it at the same time for this program? It's just beyond cool, and it's so incredible, and I love that this program exists. I love that, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, no one reads anymore. Everyone just watches Netflix. Everyone, you know, plays video games. And it's, it's not true. People read. And the library lets people do it. It's, it's incredible that the library exists, where there is a place that we can go and escape into all of these different worlds for free. And um, this program, which, you know, is going to not only give people access to books, but give people access all over the country this way to connect and engage each other and talk about the same book is just so incredibly cool. Yeah, I I tell authors this all the time, my favorite part about this big the big library program is seeing people go on our discussion boards and, and chat back and forth and, and have those conversations from you know literally across the country across the world from each other so i'm just curious do you uh not to put you on the spot but do you belong to a book club i'm always curious to see if authors have time to do this kind of thing i don't belong to a book club actually and i should look for one online but there was a a a local young adult book club in my town and then it disbanded before i was able to even attend the first meeting (laughs) and I don't know where to find other young adult readers in my area. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should just make my own book club. Yeah, I think, and you'd have some kind of, you know, cachet behind it, because you could say, like, you know, local YA author creates YA book club. Yeah. I think that'd be a good way of, of doing it. 
<laughs> so when you were going to the library when you were younger, what were some of the books that you were pulling out and reading? Well, we didn't have such fantastic young adult options when I was a kid. And so um, there were a lot of Sweet Valley High books. <laughs> I do love my Sweet Valley High books. Um, my uh, my favorite young adult writer when I was a young adult was Christopher Pike, who mm-hmm. wrote these horror books that he was sort of like R.L. Stein's counterpart, except Christopher Pike was always, it was a little darker and a little gorier. And, um, and I still have all of my Christopher Pike books that I break out and reread sometimes. And, uh, those were probably my two, my two favorites, my two go-to Sweet Valley High and Christopher Pike, which were very different from each other. I was going to say, I love how opposite they are. We've got the the perfect, beautiful people where nothing bad actually happens in that world, and then Christopher Pike where people are dying all the time. So, <laughs> was there? Would you find yourself like going back and forth to kind of like give yourself that like high and low? That just that cracks me up that you would, that that those are like the two ends, yeah. ends of the spectrum. That's what we had, and I I've always loved horror. I love scary movies I love scary books so the Christopher Pike makes sense um it actually doesn't make sense that I was so into the Sweet Valley High books <laughs> they're so they're so dumb I love them but they're awful um but they're such a key piece of my childhood but I tend to binge read like I I'll start reading something I'll be in like the mood for something scary and then every book that I read for the next month is going to be horror and then I switch and then I'm in the mood for another genre and I do that over and over again until you know I just make myself sick of one particular thing so um so it would probably be like long stretches of Christopher Pike and then I would stop and then long stretches of Sweet Valley High I totally get that I actually Right now, I'm I'm in the midst because we're recording this at the end of August, but the you know big library is happening during October, and like as soon as September hits, especially here in Northeast Ohio, where it starts to feel almost a little bit like fall, I'm like entirely in on the horror genre. So I totally get it. From like now till yes. the end of October, I have been and will continue to be diving into horror books. So I totally get that. Um. I'm curious now as an author, are you finding yourself because you write YA, do you find yourself still reading YA these days? I do. I think, um, and I do, again, I switch back and forth, you know, I, I like to read everything. So I'll go between young adult books and adult, just depending on my mood. But I just, I'm always going to love YA. Plus, I've met so many writers now um, whose books are coming out, who I, you know, book authors that I shared a debut year with. And so this past year, I've read so many books by people I know in advance, which is really, really cool to be able to read a book before it comes out on shelves, except then I want to recommend the book to everyone that I know, and I can't because it's not going to be out for two more months, uh-huh. you know? Um, but I probably actually read more young adult now than I ever did before as I write more and more of it. Um, I'm just curious, are there any books this year that, that have stuck out, even if they don't come out for a few months from now? Are there any that you've really enjoyed this year that you can't stop thinking about? Um, 
two of my favorites, one which is out, it came out last month, I think, is called The Disappearances by Emily Bain Murphy. And it's magical realism, and I love magical realism and don't see it that much. It's, it's very mysterious and moody and gorgeously written. And then um, another favorite is Cat and Meg Conquer the World by Anna Pramaza, which comes out um, in the fall. And it's about a friendship between these two nerdy gamer girls, and it's very quirky and hilarious that's amazing um speaking of fall since on that topic actually i saw something uh in one of the bios that your publisher sourcebook sent us it said that before you became a writer you spent your time trying out as a a balloon twister a filmmaker and even a paranormal (laughs) investigator so being that most people will hear this during october are there any scary ghost stories that you encountered that you could share with us you know, I've never seen a ghost. I desperately, desperately want to come into contact with some kind of paranormal activity. And one of my favorite things to do is urban explore. So I go and find creepy old places. Um, not that there are many of them in the Las Vegas area because everything is so new here. And there have been a few times where I've been inside a building and I've heard some noises and maybe something paranormal happening but I've never had that moment where I've been sure. And so this is my quest in my life. One day I want to experience something that I know is definitely paranormal. <laughs> well, and I have to say there, and I'm not going to spoil anything because people listening to this probably haven't read the book just yet, but there is a part in your book, 100 Lives of Lizzie Levitt, and you and I talked about this last time we, we chatted together, but there is a part in the book where Hawthorne is kind of searching around, sort of doing that like urban exploring. And there's a very kind of creepy, almost ghost story related situation that happens. Um, again, I won't give anything away. So you can definitely <laughs> justify that as uh, as research since you, de- you did put it into your book. Absolutely, yes. And that the story that happens in the book was similar to something that happened to me in real life once. So it was fun to write and sort of turn it into fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of writing, can you tell us anything about your next novel, As You Wish? Definitely. It is a magical realism. As I just said, I've been in a magical realism mood. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, uh, <laughs> it's about a strange town in the middle of the Mojave Desert where everyone gets to make a wish on their 18th birthday. And it's a wish that's guaranteed to come true. And the main character is a month out from his wish day and has no idea what to wish for. And so it's about his quest to figure out what this one life-changing wish should be. So I'm guessing because the Mojave Desert, this is probably a little bit close to home from an atmospheric standpoint to where you live? Yes, it sure is. It's, um, it's a town. It's, it's a few hours outside of Vegas. And the town is fictional, but everything around it is based on reality. And I feel that the Mojave Desert is really underrepresented in fiction. I just hardly ever see anything that takes place here. And especially these little desert towns um, that are sort of off the, the beaten path. And so it was a blast to get to write about my area of the country. Well, not only that, that's, that is such an area where, you know, speaking of ghost stories, that, that kind of, you know, there's 
I imagine a lot of like eeriness and kind of magical feeling to those places that at once upon a time they were either you know people who were just settling there or they were maybe going west for like the gold rush and then there's these tiny little pockets of abandoned places I imagine that when people think of like ghost stories and magic and things you know I'm sure they tend to think of like in the southern area where there's lots of like plantations and older buildings but I really love the idea of using these small little pockets in in the desert because there's you know untold stories that people like me who I'm you know hundreds of miles from you I would have no idea so that's a really that sounds like a really intriguing setting I like it a lot Thank you. Yeah, we absolutely have, I mean, the whole area is riddled with ghost towns, and the town in the book, as with pretty much everything out here, did start as a mining town, and as an added bonus, it takes place, um, it's located right down the road from Area 51, so there's all the weird alien stuff, too. Oh, man. I was, so I almost don't want to ask if there's going to be some some paranormal (laughs) alien type things involved here. I don't want to make you give anything away, though. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. So 100 Lives of Lizzie Lovett is more of kind of like a YA literature with some, you know, some funny aspects and a little bit of a mystery. And then with As You Wish, you know, you said magical realism and a little bit of fantasy. Um, is that kind of your your thought of moving forward with, with your career is to kind of jump into different categories and sort of subgenres? I think... Like I said, I like coming-of-age stories. I like that really being the focus. And I love characters. It's always about the character to me more than anything else. And sort of creating this character, then putting them in this situation and seeing what they do. And I also am very, very interested in everything weird and paranormal and mysterious and unexplained. And, you know, in As You Wish, it's it's much more magical, it's wishing, but even in The Hundred Lives of Lizzie Lovett, there's this central mystery that Hawthorne is trying to solve the entire time, and so I imagine that all of my books are sort of going to have a little bit of a balance of that, where they will be mostly contemporary, and they will be mostly about this character, but there's always going to be something a little weird, because (laughs) I love weird things. You and me both. Uh, you mentioned, you know, loving char- kind of char- coming-of-age tales and, and character-driven stories. Just, again, not to put you on the spot, but is there a character from YA books that stands out most to you as, like, the kind of definitive coming-of-age character? Well, I have to just answer Holden Caulfield, which is such a cop-out. But, <laughs> but you know... Growing up, like, that was the young adult book before there were young adult books like that. I don't even think, I don't even know if when I was a teenager if that would have been classified as young adult or if it would have just been a book. And so I feel like, to me, that brooding, whiny, dissatisfied with life, you know, Holden, like, that is the young adult character to me. Um, And luckily, we've sort of, we've, We've now entered a time where there are all sorts of different characters in young adults, and there are people with all different personality traits, and we're not just going into this stereotype of what a teenager is, but that <laughs> is always what comes to mind. I have to tell you, I, I dislike Catcher in the Rye very much because I, I had to read it in, I want to say, like my sophomore year of high school, and it was exactly like I was so angry at the, like, 
depiction of a young adult with Holden Caulfield that like I can't I'm sure if I went back and read it now I would appreciate it more but like you're absolutely right that is kind of like the definitive coming of age one but like I hated it so much just because that I was when I read it I was like I said I was so against I was like that's not how we are as a person like I remember just like taking this stance and I do remember having like a long argument with my English teacher like why are you making us read this stereotypical book and she's just like it's comical um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so the last question that I have for you, what do you hope our Big Library Read participants take away from reading The Hundred Lies of Lizzie Lovett? You know, it's not, it's not the most literary answer, but whenever I think about what I really want people to do with my books, is I just want people to enjoy themselves. I just want people to lose themselves in a different world, in a different person's life for a while. And that's the ultimate goal because reading should always be fun. And yes, of course, every book has messages and every book can teach us something and we can get different things out of it. And that is absolutely important. And that is ultimately, you know, why you might end up loving one book more than another. But before it even gets to that stage, I hope it's just, a way to escape, I guess. That's a perfect answer. I am so excited. I will admit to privately hoping that your book would be the winner when I saw the list just because I have (laughs) read it. And I'm so excited for everyone all around the world to discover this book that hasn't already. So again, congratulations, Chelsea. And thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.